There's nothing like being the first or being the only to do something that can leave you feeling like a bit of an imposter or even sometimes ready to give up when you don't have the right role models around you. And that's the case for a growing number of college students, a third to half, as a matter of fact, who are the first in their families to go to college. But some of them have a secret weapon that's helping them be resilient all the way to the finish line of graduation, and it is coaching. I'm Valerie Burton, and coming up next on the Coaching and Positive Psychology Podcast, I am talking to Maricel Herrera, Cap Institute graduate and coaching trailblazer who's helping colleges and universities across the country to coach their students to success. Welcome to the Coaching and Positive Psychology Podcast. I'm Valerie Burton. I am so excited about this episode. I'm always excited about our episodes, but we've got a couple episodes here where we are talking to graduates of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute, or CAP as we love to call it, people who are just doing really interesting work because I am always amazed at the people that are, come through our programs, just the, who we attract. Um, and I love being able to share what they're doing. You know, there are so many ways that coaching can transform the world and impact lives for the better. And, you know, there are everyday challenges that don't necessarily require therapy, but where coaching can serve as a tool to increase the likelihood of success. Um, and so that is one of the reasons I have asked Maricel Herrera to join us. She is absolutely amazing. She is an example of the power of coaching. Um, And really at the time when I met Maricel, which I think was 2015, when she went through the coach training intensive, um, at that time she was leading a peer-to-peer coaching program at the largest university in the U.S. And her passion for helping first-generation college students make it to the finish line of graduation just really got my attention. And one of the ways that she's done that is helping colleges to see the importance of using coaching as a tool to increase resilience and success outcomes for students. Um, So not only is Maricel a graduate of the CAP Institute, where she earned her certification as a personal and executive coach, but she is an educational consultant. She's an author. She is a speaker. um, And let me just tell you a little bit more um, about her. She's got more than 25 years of experience with an arsenal of tangible tools and insights. She created a success coaching model that's used by community colleges and universities across the U.S. And she likes to say that she draws on her journey of grit and grace from the housing projects of New York City to the halls of academia. She's got a master's degree in education. I think that's right, Maricel. <laughs> And you spent years at Arizona State University where you made a tremendous impact by creating their peer coaching program. And I had the privilege of getting to come out to ASU a couple of times. In fact, we even hosted a coach training intensive uh, at ASU several years back because you invited us. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you so much, Valerie, for the opportunity and for that lovely introduction. Um, I was in the CAP Institute in 2015, but I've been following your work and your books since 2012. So 10 years later, here we still are, and I'm excited to be on this call with you. Well, you know what, Marcel, you've just been making um, such an impact, particularly in the education arena, Mm -hmm. when it comes to coaching. Um, 
And I'm just curious because you you had all these years in education. What is it that attracted you to the whole field of coaching? Well, you know, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of things that we already do in higher education, whether those are mentoring, advising, other helping roles that have a lot of parallel to coaching, right? But what excited me about coaching, particularly in positive psychology, was the idea that there was a strategic way to have a conversation that could shift somebody's thoughts and their life options. And that came to me as a result of my own self-coaching process, my Mm. own personal development process. And when I saw what that did for me, and I I didn't come to that personally until I was, you know, in my thirties. And I realized, oh my goodness, if we could teach this to students at various points of life, but especially early on, this could be game changing their life. So my interest in coaching came from my own personal development investment. And in I had become a coach, but really applying those tenants and to my own life and then realizing, oh my God, this could be a massive game changer, life altering for younger people. Um, if it is shared with them in a way that's you know powerful and that they can um, understand. And so that's really what led me in that direction um, over 10 years ago with the peer coaching model. You know, Marissa, I always say that I think everybody can use a coach as as long as you're mentally healthy and functioning. Like you might have to be in perfect mental health, but as long as you're functioning and you're able to say, yeah, I could, I could try this change. I could experiment with this. I could try something new. Um, I love this word game changer because coaching for me was a game changer when I learned what it was. In the beginning, I'm going to be honest. I was a little skeptical. I was like, what is this? (laughs) What is this coaching thing? (laughs) This is something they just kind of made up. What is that? when I decided to be open-minded and curious about it. And then one, when I experienced my own coach and saw how I was becoming more courageous, more intentional, more strategic, I was getting results. That's Mm -hmm. when I really got excited. How is it a game changer, particularly for young people to be coached? Well, I think um, I've seen so much evidence of that through my work at the university and the work that I'm doing now as I train others on my coaching framework at other institutions. Um, so what the big first part I would say is if you think about it, um, whether it's a traditional age student, an 18, 19 year old student getting to college or even an older or non-traditional student, um, those years of your life are some of the most defining experiences in your life. You make decisions in that age range, let's say 18 to 30 even, that are literally decisive and definitive yeah. for the rest mm-hmm. of your life, right? And while we know you go to college or university to get a degree and get a good job, those are some tangible outcomes, but there's all this developmental stuff that's happening for you. So I think about the decisions you make the level of self-awareness that you need at that time and that often don't have the space to have and to access. And coaching creates that space and then really, I think, gives people tools to really begin to understand their thoughts, their values, you know, their mindset, and then the obviously resulting behaviors and actions. So for me, coaching and particularly peer coaching is literally game-changing because it is at one of the most critical times in one's life where you made make decisions that will affect the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's a prime time to bring that support along. Um, I also see that students are really eager and open and coachable. They're hungry. Mm. They, they want to reflect. On you're not seeing either. resistance from students. No, you're seeing, no. Why they're do you right think they're it. so hungry for this? 
You know why? I think because I think I often said this with my students and even at my former institution, students don't lack information necessarily or even resources. I mean, colleges and universities have become pretty good about anticipating what some of those things are. What they often lack is wisdom and relationship. And I think mm-hmm. coaching creates the space where that wisdom, their own inner wisdom can be tapped and that they can really learn the life stuff. You know, it's important to obviously go to class and learn the behaviors on how to navigate a university and all those things. And, and coaching plays a major role in that. But I think it's equally important, perhaps more important to understand your why, to understand your values, to really um, be able to access your own strengths and your own resilience. And that's the kind of space that coaching and peer coaching models can create for students at such a critical time. Yeah. When you say space, I'm thinking one of the things that it does, it's, it's creating the space to say, I need to be very intentional about the decisions I make. I need to pay attention to the feelings or the thoughts that I'm having. I need a space to address these issues and not just race past them to do what everybody else might be expecting me to do or to just look at what others are doing and go, I guess I should do that too. But this space to say, no, this is important. My personal development, my, my personal direction deserves my attention. And I'm carving out a time and a space to regularly be intentional about that. To start that as a young, at a young age, I would then imagine, and I mean, you know, the, the, many of the people you've worked with, they're still fairly young now, but I would imagine over time, looking 10, 20, 30 years down the road, that some of those things become skills that they just keep implementing over and over again throughout life. Oh, absolutely. And that was feedback that we got year after year from our, not only students who were coached by the coaching center, um, but also students who graduated, students who themselves had been coaches and had been trained in all of this stuff. They got mm-hmm. massive amounts of training on coaching and positive psychology. They told us this was this continued to be game-changing for them as young professionals. This gave them tools and emotional intelligence and strategies that they still used in the workplace, in their leadership. Um, so absolutely, I think it's a gift that keeps on giving. And like, like you, I really believe that coaching is you know, like you say, as as long as the person has a desire to be coached and is mentally able to be coached at that season, it's it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So the program you created is award winning. You've mm-hmm. won national awards for the work that you've done with peer to peer coaching. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that because I really believe that within organizations, you can create a co- coaching culture when everybody has the skills of coaching. Yes. And you imagine in the middle of trying to, you know, solve a challenge or, or go after an opportunity, if everybody has those skills, you can actually use them right in the middle of a meeting or, or a back and forth conversation. How does peer coaching work? And obviously it really works looking at, you know, you increased retention rates and so forth with the coaching. But what is it about peer coaching that we should be paying attention to? And, and how do you, well, let me first ask you, how do you define peer coaching? And what do you think we should be paying attention to? Sure. You know, peer coaching has a lot of the same aspects or foundational um, frameworks that, you know, the ICF puts out in terms of just professional coaching or coaching between adults. Right. So it's that conversation between you and your client that leads to sort of a thought provoking 
um, relationship and dynamic that helps expand their thoughts and those and their options and their, you know, what their, their course of actions are going to be. Um, so in that regard, it's very, very similar to what, you know, what we know as coaching and the coaching that we learned in, in CAP and CTI. Um, the peer coaching piece of it, specifically in the context of university, is literally that putting peer to peer. So you could be matching, let's say, a freshman with an upper division student, a student who's having a similar experience, but maybe further along in their mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And then you're equipping them with coaching skills. In the model that I created, and in the and there's lots of different models um, being used by different uh, colleges and universities in the U.S. But in the model that I created, it was really important to me that the coaching be holistic, that it would be attending to what was going on in the student's classroom experience, the traditional things we think about in terms of coaching, academic performance, and time management, and those kinds of skills that are important. But I also thought it was really important to address the outside of class stuff or the non-cognitive stuff, the stuff right. that can get in our way, even when we've got good grades, positive attitude, scholarship, the stuff that gets in the way of yeah. life. Which right? happens for adults as well, right? Exactly. <laughs> you got to exactly. go do your job, but you still have a life and that life impacts how you do your job. Right. So it really, what we've seen is that it really works, right? It works mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, but I think the overarching ones, and especially in the models that I've created is that it supports the things that institutions, colleges, or universities consider success benchmarks, right? So we want to make sure that you get to, you get to college, you get good grades, you get a great GPA for the semester, you return the next year, and then you ultimately graduate. graduate and it yeah. has had the impact on all of those areas in terms of retention and graduation. In fact, um, on average, students who were coached um, by us were 10% or more likely to be retained and graduate um, than those who are not. 10% That's may awesome. not seem like a lot, but you're talking about thousands of students um, who, may, who may have stayed because of that relationship. And so what what is it about the coaching then that would cause a student to be more likely to stick with the process and make it to the finish line of graduation? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. The first part of it is this idea of leveraging um, near peer support. You know, you have children, and, and my son just recently graduated from college. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, and you know that you can have the right information as a parent or as an adult in a young person's life. You can give it to them in the best way possible. And simply because you are not their peer, it may not land the same Mm. way. Right. So I think one of the most powerful things about peer coaching is literally the peer influence. The fact that they have a sort of generational, almost immediate credibility because of a shared experience. Um, The fact that um, they can establish trust, which we know is so critical in the beginning of a coaching relationship and rapport in a way that feels less formal right? Mm -hmm. And perhaps more approachable. Um, The fact that just by the very embodiment of who they are in the case of a peer coach, they are like a living role model proof. You can do this, right? You can do this here at this institution. And I'm here to walk alongside you. It's so simple. You can Mm -hmm. do this. It's Mm -hmm. it's like a simple statement, but I'm wondering how often a student is coming into coaching just as an adult, but no, I won't say they're adult. They are adults, mm-hmm. just as someone in their career might do. And we're not realizing that there's a tape in their heads and I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do this. And what I hear you saying is coaching 
especially from another peer, mm-hmm. is going to know I've been there, I am there, mm-hmm. and you can do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is how, right? So what's neat about a peer coaching model at a university or college is that they have um, an insider perspective. So it's not just you can do this in a broad validating kind of way, which is critically important to be a validating agent. We know that from the research and on retention, but it's also, and this is how you do it in this context at this university or in this college so or with this particular interest area. Mm-hmm. So there's so many layers, right, to navigating colleges and universities. And so it really provides this personalized support. Um, as I already said, I think coaching is so powerful and works because of the time in the life that a student is and how receptive they are. Mm-hmm. Um, coaching also, I think, has a very, or at least the coaching that I promote, has a very positive sort of association. It doesn't have um, the same kind of stigma, maybe, that other yeah. help-seeking things, right? We right. know that celebrities and famous people use coaches. You know, Oprah has a coach, right? Athletes have coaches, not just physical coaches, mental coaches. So I think the popularization of positive psychology in the last decade or two um, has made um, young people and, and people in general feel more comfortable talking about personal development, more comfortable talking about resilience. And so it's um, it doesn't have as much as a stigma. Yeah. You know, Maricel, you know, I do so much work in resilience and I really believe number one, that coaching is a resilient skill, mm-hmm. self-coaching and being coached by someone else. Like yes. that ability to pause, notice what the challenge is in front of you, what's really going on, the thoughts, the emotions, what, where it's coming from, if it's true or not, you know, cause mm-hmm. we're often saying things in our heads that aren't actually true, um, that, that get us stuck. Um, it's a resilient skill, understanding how to do that, how to pause and how to intentionally move forward, how to develop that fortitude mm-hmm. to say, yeah, this is hard and I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and this is where I am right now. And if I want what I want, this is what I need to do. But being able to pause and, and make that the decision mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I might feel some fear. I might feel whatever I'm feeling. I'm moving forward. I'm gathering up the tools, the resources, et cetera. Coaching, I think, is also just a leadership skill. Mm -hmm. Like we need to know how to coach because sometimes we need to be able to help develop other people. Mm -hmm. You have been very um, outspoken about the need to support first generation students. Tell me about what that means and why you know, I, I kind of think, you know, we're in this place in our society where there's a shift. You know, people are looking for ways to do more than perhaps has been expected of them or even where there haven't been doors open necessarily. Mm-hmm. And just but just because the door is open doesn't mean that you're going to make it all the way through that door into the goal if you don't have the support systems in place. Can you tell me a little bit about your passion for first-generation students in helping to make sure that they make it through? And, and, and what is it that all of us need to be thinking about when people are coming to new opportunities and they don't, they don't have all the role models around them, mm-hmm. and yet they may have the skill, the talent, the ability to impact us all, but we've got to be able to pay attention and provide some of that support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
working with first generation uh, students has been core to my life's work. Um, not only because I'm a first generation Latina student who graduated from college against many, many odds, um, but because they are such a growing population. I don't know if most people realize the um, recent statistics are anywhere from a third to 50% half of college students in the nation are first generation. Really? They are the first ones in their family to attain a bachelor's degree. That's wow. massive. 50%. What's driving that? What's driving that, Marisol? Well, I mean, throughout the last several decades, there have been a lot more efforts at recruiting and being more inclusive, yeah. changing the demographic, responding to the growth of different uh, demographics, like large, large increases in the Latino population. So that's been happening for many years. Um, what has happened, started happening a little bit more recently is this recognition that it's one thing to um, recruit you and to admit you, but how do we also create spaces where you're going to thrive, where you're going to succeed? And even more recently, how can we begin to look at first-generation students from an uh, asset-based perspective, right? Mm. So many times, um, inadvertently, institutions have treated underrepresented populations like a first-gen, because many times a first-gen identity is one like dimension of an identity. It's intersectional, right? So like I said, I'm female, first-gen. I also had happened to be a first-gen student who grew up in poverty, right? So I have these three different identities. Um, and so many students, not all students, but many first-gen students do come from a similar background. And so we get into college, we have the ability to get into college, and we're there. And then how is it that the university or college is really um, being responsive to that particular identity, the needs that come with being the first? And then also, how is it that we're drawing out the gifts and strengths and talents that this population brings? So we know that as a first anything, but as a first-gen student, you're navigating a world that no one in your immediate life has navigated. It's navigated. You don't know what you don't know. We know that first-gen students oftentimes also have other challenges, so they may have to work part-time or full-time just out of necessity. Mm -hmm. uh, they may play a bigger role in their family's um, sustenance and childcare. Um, they may have greater financial needs. They may have less academic preparedness, not because they didn't want it, but because we know educational equity in the United States disproportionately affects poor, diverse, and first-gen students. So you have all these sort of societal things that students are already contending with um, on top of their own personal challenges. Um, and so there's become a real interest in it because we recognize how massive this population is, how it's going to continue to grow. Right? I mean, and, if, and, and if this continues to grow, the positive impact this can have on the country, mm -hmm. because the more people that you have that have the skill set and the educational background to do big things, right, mm -hmm. the better off we are. It means we're finding more pools of talent that are able to fulfill their potential, which is pretty amazing. But when I think about everything you said, one of the things that came to me is also the emotional impact. Mm -hmm. Because if you show up somewhere and it really is new to you and you can't call home and describe and have somebody say, yeah, well, when I was in college, such and such, or we'll just go do this. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the feeling of maybe a lack of belonging, mm -hmm. uh, the, the feeling that I'm so different from everybody around me. Maybe I don't even feel like I can share some of the experiences that I'm having because maybe I'm going to feel ostracized or feel like there's going to be rejection that comes with that. 
did you find for yourself or for the students that you worked with, did you find the emotional piece to be significant or am I overstating it? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, that's the whole idea is that, you know, we can, in a, in a college setting, we can teach a student how to access or resource or fill out a financial aid form or go to class, all those sort of traditional things we think about the transition to college. But if we don't attend to sort of these psychological, social, emotional challenges that a student might be having, and that might be exacerbated for a first-gen student, you could lose them out the gate, right? Mm. Um, so this idea, when you mentioned sense of belonging, this is one of the things that increasingly, especially in the last couple of years, and then with the pandemic has been exacerbated, is this feeling of, am I accepted and do I belong in this community? That's a human, basic human need that drives us, right? We're looking constantly for cues. Do I belong here? Am I affirmed? Am I respected? Do I matter? Can I cut it? And so those are feelings that um, many first-gen students have when they're navigating a brand new place, right? Um, we talk about like the hidden rules of success. Well, those hidden rules also exist in academia, right? Mm. You know, like I didn't get the memo. I didn't know that this is how you're supposed to relate to a professor, you know, or maybe there's conflicting values or um, identities, right? So for me, as a Latina, I was raised, you know, you speak when you're spoken to, you're respectful, you're humble, all very important values. But when you go into a college setting in a college classroom as a student, your professor expects you to self-advocate, speak <laughs> up, engage, go see their, you know, their, them in their office hours. There's some real competing values. One isn't better than the other, but it is a psychological stress to navigate a bicultural environment mm-hmm. and then not have somebody to say, you know what, what you're feeling is normal. Right. And then how is that perceived if you're not doing those things Right. It could be perceived as she's not that interested. Mm-hmm. She's not a good communicator. She doesn't engage. When you just didn't know, I need to show up differently in this setting. No, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I can tell you, I, I remember um, interviewing students to become peer coaches. Amazing students. We, we would hire very, very academically talented students. That is the but- most, that's like the most sought after student job on campus. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They were amazing students, very, you know, strong academically, very engaged and all that. And I'd be interviewing some of them. And we were very sensitive to make sure that the peer coaching staff reflected the population it was serving. So mm-hmm. over a third of students at the university were first gen. So we wanted to make sure that they were people who could understand that experience. But to make a long story short, I would be interviewing people And we know all the things that help you be successful in an interview, right? You have to be comfortable self-promoting. You have to be able to tell your story. You have to be able to sort of take ownership for the successes of a project or whatever. Well, a lot of these things, even though they were true in the students' lives and they had evidence of that, they themselves, either because of cultural or other, just not knowing the rules of interviewing, were not comfortable sharing. Well, it's a competitive process, right? You can try to draw as much as you can. So it can cost a student opportunities, the kind of opportunities that we know are, again, game-changing. We know that it's not just enough to get your college degree these days, that to right. be in a competitive economy, you've got to have internships. You've got to do intern uh, research. You've got to self-advocate. Your professors need to know you to write your letters of recommendation. All these things are the hidden curriculum, Right that oftentimes first-gen students are not familiar with. And so coaching is a really powerful way to also transmit that. 
That is so, so good. I'm thinking about, as you're talking, I'm thinking about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how might coaching be a solution to help a person overcome imposter syndrome? Being, let me back up, imposter syndrome being, you know, when we achieve a certain level of success, but somehow feel like we, we don't belong in the room because maybe we're the first, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or, or the only, or one of the only. And so it's this feeling that I'm almost like a fraud. Like why, you know, even though you've done the work and you deserve to be there, you don't feel like it. You don't feel that sense. How might coaching be a solution for a person dealing with imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know, I'm very passionate about this subject as well. I've I've fought the good fight my whole life through imposter syndrome. And I know that a lot of it was um, related by being the first in many um, Mm -hmm. instances to to reach for the next goal. Um, I think the other piece I want to say about imposter syndrome relative to higher education and student well-being is that we know that imposter syndrome is also linked to anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. right? We also know that um, when you don't feel like you belong or um, that you can really engage, you're not likely to engage in classroom behaviors, right? That are, we've already talked about speaking up and engaging your work. It affects motivation. So imposter syndrome has some really uh, profound impacts on the student's educational experience as well as yeah. in other parts of their life. Um, so I think that coaching, in part from, from some of the things we already discussed, this personal relationship, this personalized relationship, with someone who's trained as a peer coach, the first thing it does, it validates. It validates that, yes, you can, right? No, you're not a fraud. Oh, and yes, the fact that you feel like one, that's real. That's a real feeling. But the fact is there are many students like you and we are succeeding, right? So I think just the sheer existence of a peer coach, especially if they represent the interests of the client and the student, um, can be really, really powerful. Um, I used to provide a lot of training. I still do with uh, uh, peer coaches and professional staff on this idea of imposter syndrome. And it's one of the most powerful trainings that I do in large part because the power of naming those subconscious and self-defeating yes. thoughts. Call them out, yes. <laughs> calling them out like the, the monster in the closet, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. And oh, okay, so I now I helped you identify this. I validated this, and now we're going to talk about how this might be showing up in your life, right? How you may not be going for those opportunities or speaking up in class or whatever it is. And then what are some strategies that we can help you with that, right? So I I talk a lot in my um, training about separate fact from fiction, right? And I remember reading, I I forget which one of your books, you talked about this bank of evidence, right? I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I'm less than, I'm not as smart as, I didn't get the memo. I feel this way. But the fact is (laughs) that I was selected, that I received a scholarship, that I have done hard things before and achieved a high school graduation or whatever it is. So that separating feeling and fact can really take place in a coaching relationship. That is so good. I, I just coaching is so powerful. And what I'm excited about with your work is one more example of how coaching can transform lives, mm-hmm. particularly in the education arena with first generation students. We, I just feel like we need to maximize the brain power we have. Right? Yes. And we do that by making sure we bring everybody along and that they have the best opportunity to succeed because ultimately 
that's going out into the marketplace, into academia, into medicine, into engineering, into wherever, we need to maximize what we have. And that's what you're doing. That's the impact that you're having. Um, and I just so appreciate you for it. So just, I have two more questions. The first is, what's the fun stuff you're working on right now? <laughs> well, I think like you, I enjoy a lot of my work. So it's hard for me to answer that from a fun fun <laughs> because it's all fun to me. Um, but obviously I'm doing a lot of um, these Arise trains. So Arise is the name of my success coaching framework that I'm using with universities and colleges across the country. So um, there's been a really... Um, exciting and big demand for that, particularly when the pandemic has disrupted everything we know about our learning environment. So more than ever, people want to find ways to meaningfully connect with their students, especially if they never, they're not on campus or they're in a hybrid environment. So I've been really excited about the work that I've been doing with that Arise model. Um, I'm in the process of developing an advanced training to go with that, that goes a little deeper into some coaching strategies Particular, so I talk a lot about the asset base, right? Like looking at people mm-hmm. through an asset based perspective. I love strengths that. and resilience. Now I have, um, I, I'm really excited about bringing in some work um, around this sort of trauma informed care mm-hmm. um, into um, success coaching, right? This recognition that, I mean, collectively we've been traumatized um, at varying levels through this pandemic, and students who are like diverse and first gen just by the sheer um, intersectional experiences, they have may have had um, some significant trauma that they're managing. So what you might be looking at as somebody who's disengaging or not interested, it may be a trauma response um, right. to something that's going on. So while we're not counselors and therapists, and I'm very clear about that in my trainings, we do need to understand um, what a trauma-informed lens looks like, which is you know shifting from what's wrong with you to what happened. Yeah, yeah, and creating so, that space. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm also doing some stuff on parents um, with parents of students. A lot of times we discount um, the parent who hasn't gone to college as not being helpful or critical to a student's success, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work with first gen and oftentimes immigrant parents on showing them how their experience of resilience and coming to another country for a better life and their resourcefulness is literally some of the most amazing training and transferable to their students and including them in that process in a more meaningful way. Um, And then more personally, I think, you know, we both love communication in a variety of ways and we're both um, women of faith. Um, I've been having some fun because my poetic Peace has been coming out of me again. I'm a poet and I hadn't been able to access that in a while. And so that's that's what's going on. <laughs> well, you are having fun. You are having fun. So I want you to leave us with one thing, which is in all your years of coaching, okay, I want everybody to get to walk away. I love coaching questions. What is your favorite coaching question? Well, you know, I think I may have picked it up from one of your many books or um, teachings Um, And it's really the question around bringing God into the conversation, right? What Mm. would God say about this challenge or situation? Mm. I love it because it accesses people's intuition, their inner voice, the Holy Spirit. And it really immediately, I think, um, is received as I'm not alone. Yeah, There's a bigger picture. I would say second to that, it's not necessarily, it's more like a supplemental question is this idea of, getting people to rate, self-rate, self-assess where they are in their commitment. So on a scale of, 
you know, one to five, how confident are you that you will? And then, you know, if the person says two, what would make it a five? I love that question. And it's worked really well in coaching, particularly with students, um, because it really creates, again, that pause, that self-awareness, that buy-in, um, and gives you really powerful feedback too, to understand where is it that they're missing? Maybe they need a little bit more confidence or maybe we need to practice. Yeah. Um, it's very tangible. It Those are two. I love the scale questions. The one I always say one down on a scale one to 10. Da, da, da. And, but it, it gets people to like really think where am yes. I in this? Those are really great questions. Mm-hmm. Marisol, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people connect with you? Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, yeah, they can connect with me on my website, maricelspeaks.com. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. That's primarily what I use. I'm trying to get better about Insta, um, <laughs> but they can reach out to me there. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, yes. And absolutely. I just wanted to share, too, I have for your guests. Um, they can go onto my website and download a freebie. I created um uh, a handout for 25 empowering questions you can ask um, your students to Ooh. help them succeed. So they can check that out on my website. That's great. Whether you are in education or you're a parent, <laughs> right? Or you're working with communities that involve kids. What a great resource. Marisol, yes. thank you so, so much. And I just want to wish you the best with the work you're doing, that you continue to have more and more impact on young people in our world. Thank you so much, Valerie, and for your continued work in transforming lives and women's lives in particular. So, Thank you. You know, successful women actually think differently. The research bears this truth out, and one of the ways they think differently is they understand this concept. Where you go in life is largely determined by how you grow. And that's one of the reasons I created the Successful Women's Academy, a personal growth coaching membership with hundreds of women from all over the world. You should check it out. Go to ValerieBurton.com forward slash SWA. And if you found this podcast helpful today, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining me. I can't wait to talk to you next time on the Coaching and Positive Psychology Podcast.